Welcome to the Chronically Living and How to Make the Most of It podcast. I'm Kelsey Harris, a chronic pain warrior, here to inspire hope and strength to the Spoonie community. Get ready to lift each other up and find ways to live the best life possible. All right, I have a guest on my show today. She's a good friend of mine and a fellow chronic illness warrior who has cirrhotic arthritis. Cirrhotic arthritis affects approximately 1% of the world population. It's an autoimmune disease that causes the joints to be inflamed and causes chronic pain as well as flaky or plaqued skin. Uh, So let's check out the interview. All right, so today's guest and my first guest ever is my dear friend, Katie James. Uh, Katie is the UX writing lead at Uber, an amazing visual artist and a rheumatoid arthritis warrior. So welcome to the show, Katie, and thank you for being my first guest. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Um, So as I mentioned, um, and as you're going to talk about, you have rheumatoid arthritis. Um, So I was wondering if you could just kind of start off by um, telling us some of the events that led up to your diagnosis. So I will start with a small clarification because we started in an RA capacity. This was way back, but I'll get into it. I actually was diagnosed with psoriatic arthritis. Okay. So it's the psoriasis arthritis combo, which is a joy. I'm sure many of your listeners will appreciate one or two of those fun filled (laughs) autoimmune disorders. Um, Yeah, I guess my story. So for context, I'm currently 33. This started for me back when I was about 23, 22, 23. So it's been about a decade now. Um, At first, I started having inflammation in my right hand. So I am right-handed in my right hand thumb joint. I woke up one morning and it basically ballooned out to like twice the size. And you know, I'm not overly manual other than I draw. Um, I was doing a minor in art. I was studying at university at the time when this flared up for me. But, you know, the first thing that comes to mind back then is, oh, it must be carpal tunnel. Maybe I've just been writing too hard. You know, my, my hand is stiff. So you go to a walk-in clinic and they give you an anti-inflammatory pill or they just tell you to take Advil or Tylenol, you know, come back, just put some ice on it. You know, the, the standard classic, <laughs> the classic, what they give everyone. Um, And, you know, I found it was just extremely painful. Like it got to the point where I couldn't sort of make a fist with my hand. I couldn't hold a pencil correctly. So, you know, I wasn't doing any artwork at that time. I couldn't take notes by hand, but even just simple things that you don't quite realize and take for granted, like brushing your hair. Right. Right. Like not having that dexterity and actually being able to grab something um, and sort of function on a very superficial level was quite frustrating. So I went through a series of doctors because I kept going back to complain about the same thing until one morning I woke up and I got out of bed and fell over because the pressure that I put on my feet had me crumpling in pain. And then I realized that my toe joints had like ballooned out. Like I, it felt like I had broken them in my sleep. Very strange. You know, like, again, like these things are just, they'd never happened to me before. So I couldn't quite, um, identify any of them. Right. And so I kept getting passed around through sort of this cycle of, of doctors through my, my walk-in clinic or the university doctors rather. And finally I was uh, referred to a rheumatologist. They basically just punted me over to her because whatever mystery was happening that didn't seem to be getting better. And I had tried all of the anti-inflammatory pills at that point. I think I also had corticosteroids injected directly into my joints Oh, wow. Um, For anyone who's been through that, it's extremely painful. It's like the big needle. Right. Uh, And when you watch that go like right into, you know, depending on where your joint is, I had it in my hip, I had it in my shoulder, I had it in my hand. Um, And then you do your research and realize that it's not healthy. Right. You know, athletes (laughs) see that, like the degenerative effects um, to joints and tissue is quite dangerous. So I wasn't super comfortable having that done all that regularly makes sense um you know and like anyone who's advocating for themselves it's like can we find a somewhat natural uh remedy like i don't want to be pumped full of drugs you know i'm 23 and so and some of the drugs are quite scary you know i was on this medication called methotrexate which was developed in the 50s primarily for cancer it was a chemotherapy agent 
and it wipes your immune system and it comes with all kinds of side effects. It has hair loss, you know, kind of like traditional chemo type side effects. And you're like, is it worth it? Right. I mean, like my joints are achy and I can't bend my hand, but like, do I want to be on this cancer drug? Yeah. That's scary. It's sort of terrifying. So I took that for years. Anyway, so I was finally um, referred to a rheumatologist downtown Toronto, Dr. Campbell. She is an absolute saint. I think she changed my life because where I was mostly dismissed um, and arthritis didn't even really come to mind for anyone. She really took the time to dig into every possible scenario. We did a whole gamut of tests and like I am all for the power of of um medicine but i'm also the power of let's have every test done under the sun right i don't want to be your experiment i don't you know i understand the business end of the pharmaceutical industries and so i know the logistics of money making and why we why we push certain drugs and not others but um you know to sit in her waiting room i was the youngest patient by about 40 years or so I feel like when I go to see my rheumatologist I'm like why is everybody else so much older than me (laughs) and you know it was a joke to me back then and I'm like haha here I am sitting in this waiting room with you know 80 year olds and like I'm just I'm seeing their pain right and you know a lot of them are using their their doctor's visits as sort of social visits right and whereas I'm just like a get in get out type of person but um the care that she gave me and so we went through all the tests we had x-rays ultrasounds MRIs done we had all the blood work yeah. Um, she just wanted to cover her base, but she could see that she's like, this is very unfortunate. I don't want to see a 23 year old hobbling around in pain Right. where, you know, the 80 year old across from me had better mobility than I did when I went to see her. <laughs> That's scary. Which is terrifying. Yeah. And, you know, a little sobering. So finally, um, she had recommended that I be put on this new, it was new back then. It's not new now, but this new, um, drug called Humira. And it's a biologic agent that binds to specific cells, the cells that are responsible for inflammation. Um, Basically, in a nutshell, it's like whatever your immune system response is. Like if I stub my toe and it gets inflamed, that's a normal response in the body. Mm -hmm. But for anyone who has sort of an overactive or an autoimmune disorder, it's like your cells are fighting themselves, right? Like like everything's just misfiring. Nothing's, Nothing's wrong. And yet I just feel inflammation all over. And so what this drug does, you inject it. Um, and it goes to work sort of attacking the cells and it's, it's another type of drug that wipes your immune system. So it also comes with very serious risks. It puts you at a very high rate of contracting viruses, um, bacteria infections, tuberculosis, you know, right now we are July in 2020, we're right smack in the middle of a pandemic for COVID-19 and I, you know, I'm not ignorant to the fact that when I take a Humira injection, my immune system's wiped to nothing. Right. Does that make you nervous with COVID-19? Like, have you felt? It absolutely does. In fact, I just had to make a decision to travel recently. Um, I was packing up an apartment in San Francisco. So I traveled from Toronto to San Francisco through two airports twice. Right. While just having taken a Humira injection. And I think anyone who can appreciate when you have flare-ups of pain, you do... You, you may or may not have to make a mental trade-off of like, oh no, when should I take this drug, right? Like if I have a drug at my disposal and it actually helps my illness, I will take it. But here in the middle of a pandemic, I'm, I'm grappling with this. If I take Humira, I'm at a higher risk of contracting COVID. Right. So which is worse, right? And it's a horrible mind space or headspace rather to be in, like the anxiety that comes along with this. Mm-hmm. And you never know when flare-ups are going to happen and you can sort of mitigate them and keep them at risk with your, uh, or keep them at bay with your medication. But I'm trying to, you know, keep myself safe. I'm trying to keep my partner safe. And so the anxiety doesn't make it any better because we know anxiety triggers all kinds of health exactly um, situations on their own. So yeah, like I've been battling this for the better part of a decade. The, I love Humira. I will say I'd like the poster child of that drug because I had been <laughs> battling both psoriasis and really bad flare-ups of arthritis for a while. And the first injection I took of Humira wiped it all. Right. It was that powerful. And it was like years, years of like psoriasis. And I didn't have, I didn't have that bad. Um, when I think of others, cause I do know a handful of people 
And like when it's, when it's something visible, you have that vanity lens as well, right? If you see plaque psoriasis and someone who just has scaly skin and it's itchy and it's red and it's inflamed, mm-hmm. you know, for the most part, mine's contained towards the back of my scalp. So my hair covers it. And so nobody, nobody notices. Yeah. And so I have been very fortunate in that I notice because you can feel it um, right. and it's like uncomfortable. And when you can start to feel sort of like a skin type buildup, as gross as that sounds, that's basically what it is. Your skin cells are just producing faster than normal. Mm-hmm. But when I can start to feel that, I kind of know that the arthritis is going to come with it. Right. It's like thunder and lightning. When you hear thunder, you know, lightning's coming. And that's how I basically equate. Okay monitoring these two I'm like if my joints start to feel stiff I get all paranoid about how my skin's doing um, right they they do come together that makes sense and so you know I love Humira I'm the poster child for Humira it is very expensive so if you are not fortunate to have a health uh, or an employee sponsored health insurance plan mm-hmm. for two needles which is the general prescription it's about one needle every two weeks um, is where you will start on this prescription. It's $1,800 for a box. Wow. So to pay that out of pocket, and I have, when I've been in between jobs or I haven't had insurance, to pay that out of pocket is a huge hit. Yeah. I, that's Unfortunately, that's very common with chronic illnesses. The medications are so expensive. Um, yeah, you basically have to hope you have some kind of insurance or some way to pay for it, which sucks. Absolutely. And when I started and when my doctor prescribed me on this drug, I, I didn't have health insurance then. I had just started a contract job. I think I was an executive assistant way back when, 10 years. A lot has changed for me in 10 years. But um, she actually took the initiative to fill out the government paperwork to have it be partially, if not all, government sponsored. So in Ontario here in Canada, it's called Trillium. It's the Trillium Benefit. Yeah. And she went ahead and just filled out those forms on my behalf because she's like, I need to get you access to this drug. They deliberately make it very difficult. They want to push the cheaper drugs, methotrexate being one of those. Right. Because the companies make more money. And like, she was so transparent and honest with me about the sort of behind the scenes of the drug companies and why they, you know, they'll drop off a whole bunch of sample boxes to the doctors because they want those doctors to then push them to their patients. Um, and it was the first time that a doctor had ever been that real with me. And so I have stuck with her through all these years. She's getting up there in age that, you know, it's my worst fear that she retires. Right. And then I get passed to somebody else who doesn't take me seriously. Right. Because all things considered, I'm still quite young. And so when they look at me and I say, oh, I have arthritis, they think that you're just doing that common, like everyone says they have arthritis, right? It's right. Like, yeah, exactly. I'm getting old and I'm stiff and I roll out of bed and things are sore and you know, oh, you don't actually have arthritis. I'm like, yes, I do. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have like a, a, a blood, blood work and all that trail now. So at least they can refer to that. <laughs> Yes. Thank God. I mean, I have 10 years worth of paperwork. Cause the thing is, is that when you, when the flare ups aren't there and overly aggressive, sometimes my blood work comes back quite clean. Right. And there aren't significant markers. Mm-hmm. And so if I weren't taking Humira, for example, and I let it sort of degrade, mm-hmm. it will degrade quite quickly. And we could go for um, ultrasounds, MRIs and blood work. And the markers would be all over the place. Cause I know how to read those forms now in terms of like, specific inflammation markers that you you take blood work for but if I'm on Humira you know like everything's regulated and everything's normal and so they don't quite show up and so if I'm feeling fine and nothing's happening and I go for blood work it may come back everything's hunky-dory and then the doctors are like why are you here (laughs) well let's uh let's hope that doesn't happen um as far as like them not believing you uh I'm like hopefully your rheumatologist doesn't retire in time soon even if she's older, you know, sometimes people like work forever. <laughs> True. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, so um, kind of backtracking a little bit. Um, so you, you mentioned you hadn't really thought about arthritis, being arthritis when you were diagnosed. What were your initial reactions to your diagnosis? Um, I laughed. I mean, you hear the word arthritis at 23 and you're like, no. That's not a legitimate thing. Like the psoriasis, because you can see it and you're like, okay, like there's a name for it now because where some people will just be like, oh, it's just dandruff. You're like, this is pretty aggressive dandruff. Um, And then like, why am I sore? Like, why do I have some joints that are double their size? And then I also have like flaky skin, like something's, something's up. And 
unfortunately, when you start to self-diagnose, anyone who goes to Google <laughs> to type in symptoms, like it's just a spiral. It's a rabbit hole of doom and gloom. Yep. Um, and, you know, I think we're all guilty of it. Our brains go to the worst case scenario ever. And so even for arthritis, there's like a whole, you know, there's at least six or seven specific types and they all have overlapping symptoms. Um, and then there are other things outside of arthritis that also have overlapping symptoms. So I'm like, do I have fibromyalgia? Cause that's one that pops up on the internet quite oh. often for anyone who has, you know, stiffness, joint inflammation, pain, yeah. but you can't quite pinpoint it to anything, right? It's easy for me when I can look at a hand and say, oh, this one finger is double in size, but I can't see the internal joints, like my hip, my back, my jaw. You know, one week I was just having smoothies because my jaw wouldn't open and close because the right, the jawbone right under your ear here, um, that opening and closing mechanism. Right. It was swollen, but you can't see it, right? And so, like, you're explaining to people, like, what is arthritis? It's mostly hidden. That's why I totally have appreciation for generally the elderly um, yeah. who are in pain. But I think for me, it was just, it was nice to have a name to something. It was nice that even I could focus my reading and my research and learning more to something specific. Right. Um, cause even if you broaden it just to arthritis, you know, I can, I can dive in and research the anti-inflammatory foods, any sort of natural alternatives, right? I mean, I go to my doctor for specific medications, but then on my own, I can be proactive in looking at a new diet, for example, what kinds of exercises are applicable for me? You know, most recently I've been experimenting with CBD oil to see if that yes. makes a difference for me. I'm a huge fan of that. I've heard good things from a lot of people, but I've just, I've been on this train for 10 years and then I found the drug that worked for me. And as much as I don't want to rely on Humira forever, because I certainly, my fear is that I become susceptible to it and there's nothing else. Right. Um, and so I have been quite active in looking at natural alternatives. So jury's out on that. It's very new for me, um, the CBD oil, but I just ordered two bottles. So stay tuned. Nice. Maybe I'll come back. I'll come back for another episode and, and give you the update. Yes, I think that's a good plan. Um, yeah, I'm a huge fan of natural stuff as well, as, as you know. And uh, it's I think that CBD or, like you said, diets and exercise and like a lot of stuff is very much in our control. And we should at least explore those options. So that's awesome. I think it can't hurt, right? I mean, yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to eat something that's going to throw my body all out of whack, particularly in a healthy capacity. Exactly. <laughs> so it's worth it. Exactly. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about your understanding of, um, of your type of arthritis and like specifically what it does to the body? Yes. So you know, at a baseline for the psoriasis aspect of it, the body, the body produces skin cells and most people don't notice, but I think on average, and I was quite the expert when I was researching this, most of this has been perched from my brain because I had to fill my brain with other things. So forgive me, but I think we run on a 28 day cycle of skin generation and then through activities like sweating and showering and whatever, like your dead skin cells just naturally fall off and then they start regenerating. And so most of us don't notice because it's on like a slow buildup and then they naturally just sort of flake away. And what psoriasis is, is it's the very aggressive buildup of those skin cells. So you take a 28 day life cycle and you shorten it to like three to five days. Oh, wow. And so that's the reason why it accumulates. And so you end up getting what's called plaque psoriasis or like flaky skin. It's like these little chunks that you can basically just like peel off. It's kind of like picking at a scab. It's like something's there, right? It's raised. You can feel it. It's not smooth skin. Um, it's not painful, at least in my experience. It can be very itchy. It comes and goes. Depends on weather factors too, like humidity um, and, and moisture and those types of things. But I think it's mostly just uncomfortable. And for those, like I, I do know a, a friend of the family, she has it sort of all over. And so you can see it on her arms. And like, it's been a lifelong battle for her because she's also taking Humira. That's how we were introduced originally. Um, and it, it does help for it. But I think for a lot of those that have severe plaque psoriasis, the plaque will go away, but sort of the red blotchy skin right. um, takes a while to heal. 
And so while it's a huge win just to have that lesser skin buildup, you'll still be left with this red discoloration, which, you know, um, is obvious mm-hmm. when it's on your face and your neck and your arms and your legs, and you can't hide that from people. And so when people ask, oh, you know, what did you do to your arms? And then like, do you disclose that you have psoriasis or do you just, you know, laugh it away? Cause it's a bit of a, right. it's a bit of a vanity, you know, uh, a pride issue. So that's my understanding of the psoriasis piece again, tied to the immune system, because when the immune system's all out of whack, it sends signals to different areas to just be like, okay, we either need more or less production of certain cells or proteins. Mm-hmm. And for the inflammation side, it's the same, you know, inflammation is a natural occurring response in the body to things, you know, we need inflammation in order to signal that things are wrong, either through injury or infection, for example, like if my finger just swells up out of nowhere, it could be an infection. And I need that signal. I need my body to tell me when something's wrong. However, at like a normal healthy state, your cells can just spiral out of control and they can just go to work attacking themselves because they either see themselves as invaders um, or other healthy cells as invaders you know, I'm, I'm definitely like painting a superficial aspect of it, but it is how I explain it to people. It's like, look, like my body's just misfiring on all cylinders when it comes to my immune system and it doesn't know what's healthy and what's not anymore. So the response to that is inflammation. So it attacks random joints. I don't have a symmetrical type arthritis, which normally runs in an RA type, a rheumatoid arthritis type capacity that like, if you have it in your left hand, you'll start to see it in your right. Right. Um, And not always, but you will sort of see this symmetrical side. Mine just happens randomly to random joints. You know, where this started 10 years ago was my right hand and my right thumb. And then it was in my left foot. And then it was in my jaw. And then it was in my lower back. And so on any given day, I can be in excruciating pain in a different part of my body. Right which is annoying. And that's why it's like, I don't want to run to the doctor for steroid injections for specific joints. That's why you want a Humira type product that, or a methotrexate or a good anti-inflammatory. I find they never really responded well for me. Like any of those Aleves or um, inflammatory, anti-inflammatory pills, they don't do a whole lot for me. It's just like Tylenol and Advil don't quite do a whole lot for me. Yeah. Or especially in a pain management type capacity, like I would need something significantly stronger. Uh, I've been on very strong anti-inflammatories and all they did is like mess with my stomach. (laughs) Well, that's the trade-off, right? There's always, there, there, I've yet to come across a drug that doesn't have um, side effects. Yeah, which is true. Yeah. Humira is the closest because knock wood, I have yet to see any significant um, side effects. Then that makes me wonder what the longer term <laughs> it's just quietly doing something. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, no, um, that makes sense. Um, so how how did your diagnosis affect your mental health, if it did at all? I mean, you mentioned a bit of anxiety um, at times. Um, the initial diagnosis you know, it helped the anxiety. I went through a significant wave of depression when I was battling this and there wasn't a diagnosis. And it's definitely, you know, I'm not the only person out there who feels this way in terms of like, what's wrong with me? Why is my body falling apart? You know, why am I in constant pain? You know, the psoriasis back then was bothering me as a, as a young woman in early twenties that I'm like, you know, you could start to see it every now and then it was sort of along the the top of my hairline here, you could start to see it. And so I would wear a hat and I was very self-conscious. Right. Like, Oh no, I've got, I've got dry skin and it's gross. Um, when I was finally diagnosed, it's like that little sigh of relief, but at the same time you're still in pain. And so having something to latch onto to research was great, but it was really only when my doctor put me on Humira and I saw that like drastic, both pain relief and the psoriasis disappeared basically within two to three days. Like that first hit of that drug, uh, it was life-changing. Yeah. And, you know, I remember having a conversation with my brother at that time because I lived with him. And so he saw me go through these years of pain. Like I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't put on a t-shirt one day because my arms wouldn't lift up high enough. And just like simple things like putting on socks you know, you take that for granted because my ankle hurts. Every time you touch something, it's that feeling of when you stub a toe 
Mm-hmm. And that initial throbbing and that just reaction of like, oh my God, it's like that all day. Right. Any small movement, you know, I pick up something and your hand just starts vibrating and it just starts throbbing because, you know, recently I had a flare up with the, with one of my fingers on my right hand. And uh, unfortunately it happened while I was traveling. And so I was, you know, lifting suitcases and throwing them on the belt and then, you know, traveling alone is stressful, but with a hand that's basically... Uh, yeah, not functional. It made it all the more, all the more worse. But uh, yeah, so I was having a conversation with my brother back then, and he said, "You know what? I I never thought, or it hadn't occurred to me that there could be a cure for cancer or a cure for AIDS, for example. And they just haven't let it be known to the public until I saw you take Humira. He's like, I watched you for the better part of five years." experiment with toxic drugs, anti-inflammatory pills, things that didn't work. Right. And then here you are on this medication that you took one injection and within three days, everything was gone. The swelling was gone. The psoriasis that had been there for five years. Wow. Disappeared. And if you were to examine my skin, it was like nothing was ever there. And we're talking like scabby type skin. It sounds disgusting, but like at that plaque psoriasis level, like you're just flaking away and picking away at something and it can bleed. Right. And it can scar. And for it to disappear three days later, he particularly, like I saw it on his face. He's like, it's, it's, you know, horribly depressing, but also mortifying that these drugs are here Mm-hmm. And they do have life-changing effects, but the majority of people can't get access to them because at $1,800 a box, yeah, that is depressing. I needed my doctor to fill out those government forms for me. In fact, I went to her office because she was giving me injections of the samples that the wow. drug companies were giving. She would save them. And when I would go see her, she would inject me for free. What? Okay. First of all, amazing doctor. Like, I know. Doctor does that. That's incredible. Um, and also, yeah, you're right. Like it's, it's, it's crazy to think that most, like a lot of people listening might not even be able to afford, um, to afford this kind of drug, which could help them so much. And it's, it's actually, yeah, like you said, depressing to to even think about that. It's just really depressing in a mass scale. Right. And I mean, you have this, this drug and it's wildly produced and, and distributed. It's just you know, and not to get down the rat race of, you know, only the elite get access to these drugs. But, you know, I couldn't afford it back then when I started, but I had a doctor go to bat for me. Yeah. And that's the sad reality is that there's all kinds of loopholes, right? There are forms you can fill out, but no one knows how to navigate them. No one even knows that they exist. You know, the doctors know how to navigate the system. Um, but, you know, they do or do not, depending on their right. own interests, right? And, you know, not to say that they're um, I'm not going to paint doctors in some sort of unethical bubble, just like police. You'll get your bad apples every now and then, but for the most part, like they do have an ethical duty and a responsibility to help wherever possible. But a lot of it is just sort of pushing paperwork, right? If you don't qualify for this drug, okay, what else do we find? And so for in my type of capacity, you know, any sort of RA, psoriatic arthritis, um, inflammatory arthritis is like the general category when they can't quite pinpoint it to anything else. It just yeah. ends up being IA. Um, you get methotrexate because that it's about 200 to $250 a needle. Right. Which is still a lot. No, a lot of money, right? <laughs> it's less than 1800, but you know, $250 is a lot. Yeah. Ah, it's crazy. Yeah. This, these drugs are insane. But again, like if they're helpful, it's hard to find the money sometimes, but worth it. And, and, you know, hopefully you can have great insurance that will help or there are forms to fill out that can help. And hopefully you have a doctor like you have that can help. Um, Absolutely. I mean, like they're helpful, but then you have to wonder how helpful because they are not a cure. True. Um, And so knowing that some of these drugs come with their own line of side effects, you do have to make trade-offs. And then I wonder, is it just because in the medical system or healthcare system in general, because we're not putting the funding into research of natural alternatives are we just behind the curve, right? Um, and, you know, there's the odd independent study here and there about turmeric as an anti-inflammatory and, you know, cherries is another one. CBD, of course, is, is yeah. sort of the bigger one. But, like, the, the money and the funding behind it isn't on par with our pharmaceutical industry. And so there's a reason why we push these drugs, and I get it. But 
um, you just, you have to wonder at the long-term effects. Mm -hmm. No, it's true. And, and like you said, um, we just don't, the, you can find an odd study here and there, but one study doesn't prove anything and mm -hmm. uh, no one's putting the money into more studies. So mm -hmm. uh, we just, we have to rely on these. Um, you know, tell, um, can you tell us a bit more about, um, you know, what you've learned uh, about life dealing with your illness, about life in general, about how you navigate life? Um, I think that you should always be the biggest advocate for your health. Mm, I agree. You know? And again, I'm just reflecting over a 10 year journey where, you know, when I was 23 and this started and woe is me and my hand hurts and please doctor, like somebody help me. I was the biggest, you know, just give me any drug, like anything that will make this better and make this pain go away yeah. uh, is first and foremost. Like that's the mindset. You're reactive, you're emotional, you're depressed, you're angry, you're frustrated. I totally appreciate it. And then having navigated the pharmaceutical ways over 10 years and experimenting with drugs, because even on Humira, you know, that initial prescription was one injection every two weeks. I didn't feel comfortable taking it that often. And like, it's a drug that I respond well to, but I did have a very candid conversation with my doctor about, A, I'm afraid I'm going to be susceptible to this. And what happens if I then build an immunity to this drug and then it never works for me again? Like it terrified me a future that if Humira didn't work, there was nothing else, but also just the longer term effects and because we don't know the longer term effects. So I did have a very candid conversation with her to say, hey, is it okay if I experiment with this drug and just take it when I experience flare ups? Mm -hmm. I know that's not the intended purpose of this medication because you're always supposed to keep your immune system at sort of a baseline. And that's why you take it regularly to avoid flare ups. And I get it, you know, I'm I'm taking a bit of a risk just sort of waiting for flare-ups to happen. Then you take an injection and then they calm down and then they flare up and then they calm down. But I think what I've learned in just doing that is how to experiment with other alternatives. You know, exercise is one of them. Mental health is key. I think the biggest takeaway over the last 10 years is that when I've had significant flare-ups or when my health has been at its worst has been during my most stressful or my most anxious times. Right. And, you know, the more research I do around anxiety and stress mm -hmm. and those triggers and how they show up in different parts of the body, you know, the adrenal glands are a big one in terms of there are all kinds of natural herbs that you can take mm -hmm. to curb how your body handles stress. And that's outside of, you know, Humira and the immune system and the weird proteins that um, right. cause inflammation. And like, what if I were to just target another part of my body that regulates stress and the stress hormones. And like, maybe there's a connection there. And so part of that advocacy for your own health is just, you know, as much as I'm a huge uh, fan of the healthcare system, by all means, like I am very fortunate. I found the most amazing doctor in the world, but I don't want to see her. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't look forward to seeing her. She's a lovely woman, but I've told her many a times, so, you know, if I'd never see you again, I would be happy with that. Yeah. It yeah. means I have a reason to come back here. It would mean that I found something that works for me. And so I think that my advice would be to never stop experimenting with things that may or may not work for you. I think um, we should never be complacent really with anything in life, but we should always just continue to adapt to change and experiment with things, preferably in a natural capacity. But yeah, um, I can appreciate where where we need to augment with, you know, hardcore drugs, that's okay too. Um, but preferably things in balance. I, but yeah, stress, stress is a big one. Stress is, and it's, it's amazing to me how much stress, um, how much harm stress can do to the body. You don't realize it when you're younger, mm -hmm. but when you experience it on sort of a physical nature as you get older, um, it, it's mind-blowing. And then the more research you do around it, how stress and anxiety are a key driver in a lot of health illnesses. Yep. The more you want to curb that and say, oh, maybe I should take up meditation or yoga, or I should really be in tune more with my mental health. You know, I'm a huge advocate for that. So um, yeah, the body mind connection is, is something that no one really thinks about until you're kind of forced to think about it. And you're like, wow, like it really does make a difference. Agreed. Yeah. yeah that's, that's great advice. Um, so how has having, um, 
psoriatic arthritis affected your love life? You obviously have a very lovely partner right now. Um, but has it affected it? Um, how has it affected it? Um, I would say it hasn't affected it. Um, you know, especially when I was younger and I was a bit self-conscious, particularly about the psoriasis, mm -hmm. I didn't exactly disclose it. Right. No, out on the first date, for example, like as you get to know someone and develop a connection, like I certainly don't hide things from my partner, but, and the reality is, is that when there are flare ups, they're going to see it. You know, my yes. partner has seen, you know, when I wake up and can't bend my hand or I go to do something, you know, even just more recently with my finger, you know, I was trying to put on socks and just that action of like, you bend your knee up, one hand grabs a foot, one hand puts the sock on, you know, when one hand's not working uh, right. and it's my dominant hand, like I am right-handed. And so my left hand's fairly useless in that capacity, but you know, they see it, they see the day to day, they see the realities. And so you can't hide something like that from your partner, you know, with, with previous partners as well. Like I had to go to the ER one day because my arthritis was so out of control and I just wasn't on a prescription at that time. Mm. I was in between jobs, didn't have access to Humira. So she took me to the ER because she saw like I couldn't put on a t-shirt. Right. Um, and you're just in so much pain that they ended up prescribing me Oxy. Wow. Cause they can just see it and they have their mechanisms there to evaluate, you know, the pain scale and they're like, ah, yeah. oh, this girl's like off the charts. And again, because you can't see it, it's internal, right? It's not like I came in with a broken leg that you can see. I'm coming in with what looks like a normal healthy body, but like my pain is out of control. Right. And all they can do because they're just, you know, a quick triage until you can see your actual doctor or your rheumatologist again, right? They're like, well, here are some pain meds. We'll give you a small prescription to get you through for a week. But, you know, um, and that, that's not the goal either, right? I don't like pain medications because for me particularly, they're bad on stomach. Yeah, same. Yeah. I can't, you know, I took T3s once when I had my wisdom teeth out and Oxy. I've had, um, I've had quite a few prescriptions of Oxy from other doctors for arthritis because they just they, they give it out as a pain management but I never took them right they just sat there for five years and then they were expired yeah yeah which I, mean, I want to feel awful right like there's pain management but then there's like I just I feel like this is highly addictive like who wants to put yes. in that position yes yeah, not going to skirt around that it's a highly addictive drug also but yeah okay well, just, like, it's good to know so obviously you're saying communication is important with your partner um, communication's important. Um, explaining what's happening, mm -hmm. you know, kind of like this dialogue here, like, can you explain, you know, what's actually happening? And that's why over the years I've, I've just stripped down, like what is psoriasis? What is arthritis? Just yeah. explaining the sort of basic building blocks to what is happening in my body. And then finding those metaphors or those stories to your point of like, if I stub my toe against the wall, everyone knows, everyone can resonate with that and they know what that feeling is like. And so when you kind of just paint this picture of like when I'm in pain or I'm grimacing, uh, it, it feels like that. It's that type of pain. And so um, just being clear with your partner, depending on the type of partner you have, you know, they may want to reach out, you know, um, mine, for example, always checks in, like, how can I be helpful? Like, what can I do for you? Awesome. Uh, and I've always been self-sufficient. So my default answer is like nothing, <laughs> you know, I got this, I've been doing this for a while, you know, uh, it is what it is, but at least just knowing that someone is there checking in is, is great. Um, I know it's particularly hard when we have these sort of hidden illnesses. Yeah. Um, you know, mental health is another, like anyone who, who suffers from anxiety or depression, you know, that's hard to have those conversations with your partner as well. Oh, and like yeah. really explain what you're going through and, you know, for your other half to basically just be witness to, you know, you seem out of sorts, like you seem mm -hmm. down today or you seem in pain and I don't know how to help you. And so, you know, communication is, is the biggest, I think it's the only thing really, I mean, yeah. to to navigate that with someone who's not experiencing it and not going through it. And they're just on the sidelines, witnessing it from an external point of view. The only thing that you can do is just be open and honest about what's happening, how you're feeling in the moment, what kind of pain you're experiencing and maybe what you need or expect from them in that wow. moment. Um, if I just need you to go away, for example, like I'm not someone who needs to be coddled when I'm sick. For example, I don't like to be touched. I kind of just want to curl into a ball under a blanket right okay. I don't, need you to, I don't need you to rub my back or anything like that's just how I deal with illness but then my partner for example when she has a cold like she wants to be 
okay. you know, put her arms around me and like she wants to be coddled in a way um my brother was like that too like he needs constant attention right bring me things i just want to be left alone so but like you would never know that unless you communicated that is very true so <laughs> very good point yes yeah <laughs> key to life i think <laughs> we're not mind readers so yeah, exactly um and has it affected your career at all um it has not. Again, I'm fortunate that my career isn't overly manual labor. True. <laughs> I, I, my day job is a user experience writer, so I work on a computer. Um, the, the downside of that is that when you're sitting all day, you're not keeping active. And so you have to set those reminders to get up and get out of a chair because arthritis, you know, the devil of arthritis is, is still stillness. Right. It seems counterintuitive when it's painful to shuffle around, but you have to keep active because you don't do your joints um, any good stuff, right? by sitting 12 to 14 hours a day on a computer. But so in that regard, it hasn't hurt my career in any way. I don't really disclose it to anyone at work. Um, again, I'm, I'm a silent sufferer. It's, right. it's not to say that I couldn't disclose it at work. Um, and I've certainly disclosed it during the pandemic because I don't feel safe traveling when I'm immunocompromised. I am like textbook and on paper, one of those people who falls in that category. So yeah. um, I'm going to hunker down and self-isolate and I'm not going to be the first cohort of people. You know, again, I'm in a fortunate industry that we're working from home, but I'm not going to be the first person to volunteer to go back to work. Right. Until I deem that it's safe. Um, and I do have that, that privilege and that, that sort of safety net. Um, through my employment but no over the years i mean you know when you write for a day job it's not overly taxing it's mostly just mental work i think the most uncomfortable times has been flare-ups in my hands because then typing on a computer um is very cumbersome and because i freelance and my passion projects are visual art so i draw with pencil crayons uh you draw and i can't with pencil crayons let me just add <laughs> Why, thank you. I try. Um, but, you know, and, and I draw in a, in a realistic capacity. So it's very attention to detail. It's very um, dexterous, if you will. And so when I have arthritis flare-ups, I can't draw. And that bums me out. And then you sort of, you slide into the anxiety, right. sort of somewhat depressed um, category because I rely on art as, as a type of meditation, right? It's a type right. of sanctuary for me. I very much enjoy that activity. But if I can't hold a pencil properly to do artwork and this artwork takes you know anywhere from 12 to 48 hours for a small drawing you know then you end up just putting that on the back burner and then I don't draw as often as I as I would love to be able to and most of it just comes down to my actual ability to right so it's not exactly something I can power through yeah exactly <laughs> I don't want to make it worse either because you know I don't want to end up with some weird claw hand because I've been <laughs> Yeah, it might be a little awkward, and then you would probably fall anyway. And like. So yeah, I've been very fortunate in that my career, um, thankfully, has not been impacted by this in any means. Like, I'll come home after work, after a long day, and I'll take a bath, and I'll do all of my self-care regimen, because I, I still will be stiff, and I will be feeling pain throughout the day, but I don't think that it's impacted the actual nature of my, of my career. Yeah, that's, thankfully. which is great. Um, so you kind of touched on self-care. So obviously, uh, art for you is definitely a form of self-care. Uh, baths, you and I have that in common. Baths are amazing. Uh, what else do you do for self-care? Baths are my go-to. They have always been my self-care regime. And we're talking like Epsom salts, all the fancy salts, a bath bomb and bubbles. Amazing. And candles and a glass of wine and a magazine. That's, that's my... Perfect my standard. Um, I find that very helpful. Like there's just something very soothing about a bath, the Epsom salts particularly, like we know that that does, that helps for, yeah. for joint fitness and, and inflammation in general. And sometimes I'll alternate ice and like, I'll have a hot bath and then I'll put ice packs on things. Um, alternating heat and cold sometimes helps artwork for me. Uh, I love walking. I'm a big, like I love to put on podcasts or music and just go for a walk or a hike if I have a trail. But if not, I'll just walk through the neighborhood for over an hour. Uh, we have a dog, so I'll, I'll take her for a walk. 
I'm a big reader. I have a lot of introspective type hobbies and activities. So I think those all contribute to self-care for me. Uh, you know, anytime I have quiet time reading my new thing during the quarantine, since we've all kind of just been not stuck in our homes, but you kind of evaluate what are your actual hobbies and right <laughs> as a human being. So I found myself gravitating to YouTube just for tutorials of things. Oh, cool. Right. Like how to reseed my lawn in the backyard. And we bought a new barbecue and I've never barbecued anything in my life. And so just diving into like, how would I prepare, you know, a brisket or a beer can chicken or something? It's got, you know, I've been cooking a lot more lately. And so that is somewhat of a creative endeavor for me. Anything creative, I think my brain definitely um, is tailored towards. You know, anyone who's ever experienced that flow state, mm -hmm. and it shows up in many like athletes experience it, artists experience it, yeah. musicians as well. Like it's a, it's hard to pinpoint and describe the feeling, but um, for me, I have a lot of different creative endeavors. And so being in that state is probably like the best thing that I could ever do for, yeah. for self-care. It's just being immersed in what you're doing in the moment and not thinking about anything else. Yeah. Totally. There's no pain. There's no pandemic. There's no <laughs> career stress. There's no, you know, relationship stress. It's just you and your element doing what you do really well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a lot of those types of things for me gravitate towards self-care. Amazing. Love it. Um, do you feel like you're making the most out of your life right now? I do. I think, funnily enough, when the when this pandemic rolled around, the, the small upside is that I think it has forced people to hit a reset button and take a look at their lives. How do you evaluate the fragility of life? You know, are you someone who's afraid of death? Have you been making the most or have you just been coasting, right, in our relationships and our careers and our health? Yeah. And, you know, having this sort of in-your-face reminder you know everyone's wearing gloves everyone's wearing a mask you know you read the news you can't get away from it and so it's just it's in your face this particular situation but I think everybody adjusting to working from home reevaluating. oh you know I'm I'm sitting in my house and I'm bored I'm like what kind of individual is bored right <laughs> I agree <laughs> if you can't find something to do that's a good time to just sit and reflect about you know and I get it. I'm a social being as well like I miss my friends and I miss being out as well yeah. Um, like everyone and it's hard right this is a really hard situation for a lot of people to adapt to but do you have any other interests yeah exactly like maybe this is the time to pick up a new interest if you wanted to learn the piano if you wanted to you know even my brother bought a violin because he took violin oh, lessons wow. as a kid uh, for quite a few years and then during the pandemic he bought a violin and he's like I'm gonna take this up again amazing so it's just it's, it's that so um, you know, having this time to reflect on how I think life is going yeah. so far, uh, and it does, it absolutely encompasses health. And, you know, with a recent flare up, it's even more prevalent in terms of like, this is cumbersome, absolutely. And it can be hella painful, but I'm not going to let my life be defined by arthritis. Um, I will continue to experiment with things that work for me. Stay tuned on the CBD oil. <laughs> I will continue to push and also just continue to be a little more strategic in terms of having emergency plans in place, right? I mean, I had a prescription last year of Humira and then I switched jobs and then I didn't. And then you think, oh, I've got two boxes in the fridge and I'll be covered. And then those two boxes disappear out of nowhere. And now I'm stuck in the position where it's like, I don't have any Humira anymore. Right. So now what do I do? And, you know, admittedly, it's not the first time that I've been in that situation. And so I think for me, it's just time to smarten up and have a little better sort of emergency preparedness plan, if you will. That's smart. Uh, Actually, I never even thought of that as well, but to stock up on some medications or make sure you have some money set aside for them is, is a good idea. And I think so, right? And I mean, we have that approach when it comes to finances and particularly for COVID. I think a lot of people have realized that, you know, that three month savings um, bubble has sort of gone out the window that it's like, oh, we would need to prepare 
you know, if this were to happen again in our lifetime, you know, having three months worth of savings clearly means nothing when yeah. <laughs> COVID continues to drag on for the better part of a year. And I'm like, why wouldn't we have that same mentality towards our health? Absolutely. Right. You know, you shouldn't let sort of those basic foundational um, elements slip away or be taken for granted. So, yeah. Um, that's why I'm a big believer in experimenting so that when I don't have Humira, I'm like, what could be a fallback for me? Right. Is it just, is it more baths? Does that actually work? Is it CBD oil? Like something to sort of tie you over until you can get back to a, a routine or a regular prescription or whatever. But, um, yeah, no, I think that's, yeah. that's really smart. And I think, I mean, I, I definitely can see that you are living an awesome life because I, obviously we chat a lot and uh usually over text and i always looking at your instagram because uh all the, your barbecuing by the way it looks freaking delicious i'm like thank oh you. man like i just want to eat some of this food <laughs> thank you thank you um and um where um like like i've been saying you're an amazing visual artist um and where can people find your art where can we follow you um, right now I'm predominantly just on Instagram at I am Katie James. That's my handle. I'm in the process of putting together a website, sort of an e-commerce site. So it's like, I was debating whether to just do a portfolio site or a site where people could buy prints or request commissions or whatnot. And so that was also part of my quarantine activity was to redo and actually learn coding and like properly do a website from scratch. Okay. I was going to hand it off to someone else. And I'm like, this is a good time just to learn new skills. True. Um, so it's taken me longer than I'd hoped um, in and around my actual job. So um, yeah, Instagram, I am Katie James. You can come and see some of my artwork and the odd barbecue. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> barbecue endeavor. Amazing. Katie, thanks so much for coming on today and, uh, and chatting to us about your experience. Um, and, uh, I definitely will have you back again because absolutely look forward to it. Talk all the time. So, <laughs> all right, cool. Thanks so much. No worries. Take care. Thank you so much for joining me today on the chronically living podcast. If you love this week's podcast, please subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Until next week, stay strong.